Today we are going to go through 20 verses. We're going to start in the book of John, chapter 12. We're going to start at verse 12. We're going to make our way all the way down to verse 32. We're going to start with Jesus entering in and then talk about what it means, talk about what it looks like in our lives. Like Stefan has already mentioned, today is Palm Sunday, which leads us into this week of Holy Week a week of great reflection. If the time of Lent is supposed to bring us, close, bring us closer to the Lord as we pray and seek Him, the time of Palm Sunday is this day where we gather to see Him come in. We welcome Him into our hearts, and then as the week progresses through the Last Supper on Monday, Thursday, to Good Friday, Him on the cross, we go through these emotions of such a high of following Jesus to His death and then going to the empty tomb, expecting there to be nothing, and then there is nothing because he's risen. And it's such a powerful, powerful week. It's one of our best weeks that we have as Christians to make time to come to worship, to come to be a part of the community of God. So I would invite you to please join us on Good Friday in here, especially for our 7 p.m. service, a chance for really taking to heart what our Lord did for us on the cross and then joining us again on Easter Sunday. And remember, it's 9.30 hour back, so if you cruise in here at 10.40, we're going to be just finishing communion. Um, but we'd love to have you 9.30 next week. So let's dive into our text. This is, again, from the Gospel of John, for those of you following along. The next day, the great crowd that had come for the festival, that's Passover, heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. So they took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, blessed is the king of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey, sat on it, and as it is written, do not be afraid, daughter Zion, see your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. At first, his disciples did not understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that these things had been done to him. Now let's AMP him this. There's so much good stuff here that we have to unpack it. First, the palm branches, right? Now the palm branches came from that Maccabean revolt. They were waved in celebration of the victory that was won over the Gentile oppressors. So palm branches are a symbol of the Jewish nationalism and liberation of the people. They're really waving them for Jesus because they want him to liberate them from the Roman occupation. They were shouting Hosanna, which Stefan told us means save us, save us now, and comes from that Psalm 118, 25 to 27, where the people are praising God for saving them back then. And the scene the psalmist describes is celebratory procession, leafy branches being waved, and they all want Jesus basically to save them right now. They call him the king of Israel because Jesus is the king of Israel. And in fact, throughout Scripture, God's people, or David, has been God's king here on earth, but Jesus becomes both the king of the earth and also the king of Israel. So the crowd calling him this title is doing something good, but there's something behind it. See, they want him to be the warrior king. They want him to be the one who is going to conquer and fight and cast out these Romans. But Jesus doesn't come riding in on a war horse, does he? He does not come to deliver them from the oppression of the Romans. He comes to deliver them on a donkey, meaning peace. 
A peace that will not come through military conquest, but through his death on the cross. Now here's the part where I had to stop for just a second. Because what we just sang about deliver me, God, from anxiety, from depression, from the need to be understood, from the feel that I have to have more. This is what he has come to deliver us from. From the things that would steal our heart. John says that the disciples didn't get it, but they get it later. And that relates very much to the way we still live, right? Still happening today. When we're in a moment, when something is going down, when we're struggling and praying and seeking because Jesus isn't doing what we want right now, our timeline, we struggle. But later on, when we look back, We recognize what God actually delivered us from. We look back and understand. So it is my prayer as we go through this text today and our response and discipleship and this journey that each one of us walks with the Lord down the road of life that we will, instead of trying to get Jesus to conform to our expectations, to be the king that we want him to be, instead, Ask God to open our minds, open our thoughts and our hearts and turn, turn from what we want to turn to Him. Because every day we have these moments, big, little, and we have choices to make, directions that we could go. And I wish that it was black and white. This would be good, this would be bad. But it's not. So the key is going to be in these moments, in this journey is to find the way to choose from the heart of God that has been placed inside of us, the Spirit, discerning the ways of God and following Him. To start our thinking and our acting not as a response to what we want in that moment, but to learn to surrender and listen. I would go so far as saying that I think it's time that we stop laying down our coats in front of Jesus, and instead begin laying down our lives. Because the crowd is excited because they think Jesus is going to do what they want, and they are unaware of what they need. The crowd shows us that it's easy to lay down your coat and wave branches, but it is difficult to pick up your cross and follow Jesus. Verse 17 says, The crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead was there and continued to spread the word. Many people, because they had heard that he had performed this sign, went out to meet him. So the Pharisees said to one another, See, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. The crowds have begun to adore Jesus, to go out and seek him because they believe that through the rising of Lazarus from the dead, now Jesus truly is that Messiah that they were looking for. He can feed us. He can cast out demons. And now he can pull people back from the dead. This is the one who is going to release us from the yoke of Caesar. And the Pharisees here are getting really jealous and getting really concerned because their preferred way of life with them as the most important thing their abuse of the religious system and the hoarding of power from themselves, they can feel it slipping through their fingers. And earlier, before Jesus comes from 1 to 11 in John chapter 12, they've already plotted to kill him. 
And here we finally hear how frustrated they are because their plans have just not worked out yet. And then John switches gears and says, there were some Greeks among them who went up to worship at the festival. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, with a request. Sir, they said, we'd like to see Jesus. Philip went to tell Andrew. Andrew and Philip in turn told Jesus, and Jesus replied, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Now, this part was a little interesting to me because we're not told the background of these certain Greeks. And like I said, John's just kind of changing gears really quickly. Now, these may have been Greek converts to Judaism. They may have been uh, Greek God-fearers who had a, a respect for Judaism but didn't convert and become circumcised. They may have simply been just Greek travelers and were curious about all that stuff that was going on. And on this occasion, the Greeks' curiosity about Jesus may have even just been... Let's check it out. Let's see what's going on. We don't know. There, there may not even really be a special reason. But look at verses 19 through 20. Scholars suggest that in John's writing, there's been a day or two here that has gone on. And if we go back to Mark 11, Jesus does something in the temple. He goes through and he flips the tables and he chases out the money changers and all that stuff and he clears it out. Specifically, that takes place in the outer court. Now, the outer court is where the foreigners who weren't Jews had to stop. They didn't get to go further than that. And what had happened was that outer court had become a marketplace. It was no longer what it was supposed to be, like it said in Isaiah, but a house of prayer for all the nations. So some people say that this isn't a random bunch of Greeks. This is people who saw the action of Jesus and saw that he was standing up and doing something for them, that Jesus did have the interest of Gentiles and was going to make a place for them that they had an opportunity to now worship the true God, to come into God's presence, to have a real relationship, not just be on the outside. And so they go to Philip, who is the only one with the Greek name, and they ask him, can we get to Jesus? And for you fans who love symmetry, isn't it interesting that these Western Greeks are here at the end of Jesus' life to come and worship him, to come and get to know him? when you had the men from the east at the beginning of his life. Now, we don't get to know if these guys, these ladies, these, these Greeks got to come to Jesus and get to speak to him because John once again presses forward and says the hour has come. Twice through John, he's already said that the time for Jesus wasn't ready. But here in this moment with the Gentiles seeking him, now the hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Before the hour of violence was not yet. But here was time for Jesus to make the final sacrifice. It's important because at the heart of Jesus' message is uniting all of his sheep, like he talks about in John 10, including the ones that don't yet belong to the fold, the non-Jewish and the Jew, bringing them under one shepherd. Jesus not dying just for the nation of Israel, not being the deliverer just for the nation of Israel, but for all people. And to be glorified not in the eyes of men with a beautiful crown and robes, but to be stripped and have a crown of thorns placed on his head. To be glorified through death. So he says, very truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, 
it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Anyone who loses their life, anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant also will be. My Father will honor the one who serves me. Just as a seed will never become a plant unless it dies and is buried, so the death and burial of Jesus is necessary to his glorification. Before there can be resurrection power and the giving of the Holy Spirit, there must be death. And that comes Friday and on Easter. Now it's interesting here that we're called to hate our life, but not in the sense that we would disregard it, but hate it in the sense that we would freely give it up for God because we know that God loves us and our life is very precious to him. So to hate our own life would be to misuse the gift that he has given us. But Jesus would say that when we hate this life and this world, basically you are disregarding the things of this world, seeing this world not as your final destination, as the one thing to overcome your only time, your only place, but rather you are just a pilgrim here, a traveler, like, he, uh, like the author of Hebrew writes about in chapter 11. We are destined for something more through the death and resurrection of Jesus. This is not some call to hate yourself or choose to, to hate life or, or choose, okay, if I'm supposed to hate my life, I must be always seeking pain and suffering. It's a call to detach from sin. A call to let go of the things of this world that lead us away from God. It is a call, friend, to lay down those fancy coats and wave palm branches and thinking, that's enough. No way. It's a call to turn away from all the inward thinking and to align ourselves with the way of the cross to begin turning towards self-sacrificial love, to let that self-centeredness in us die and to embrace the way of discipleship. Jesus is encouraging us that in the moments of life, turn to him where there is more. Charles Spurgeon used to say, we are not saved by the things that we do, but we are saved to do the things of God. Look how Jesus describes his servant, following him and being where he is. Following him with the promise that he will be with you every step of the way and the Father will honor you. What a remarkable promise that the creator of the world will reward you for serving Jesus. Will reward you and recognize you. I stopped here for a moment too because maybe it's just me but I think about all the energy and the work and the panting that I do to be recognized and liked by people. How hard I work and slave and compromise to be accepted. Struggling with my own thoughts of feeling like if I don't do this then I'm never going to be liked filled with that anxious heart that is unsure of where I stand, wondering if I've done enough. 
And it's so hard to move on from those feelings, from that fear that clouds my heart that I've kept close for so long and wrestling with the question, can I trust God to do what He promises? Can I trust God that to pick up His cross to follow Him is better because it has taken a lifetime to master the moment that I'm in, the persona that I have, the ability to show people. And yet God calls and says, your heart belongs to me. I can't conquer my anxiety. I can't conquer my fears. I can't conquer the things that are thrown at me. But the one who comes on a horse, on a donkey, in humility and love, will conquer the power of anxiousness and will bring peace. Will stand against everything that self-preservation tries to convince me of. And what will be left will be Him. Because the way of Jesus allows you to face those troubled times and to confidently stand and rest so that we can have peace, peace in the chaos, so that we can have strength in our weakness, so that, that the hope and promises of God outweigh whatever we go through in the moment. Twenty-seven says, my soul is troubled. What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. No, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice comes from heaven. I have glorified it. I'll glorify it again. The crowd that was there heard it and said it thundered. Others said an angel had spoken. Jesus said the voice was for your benefit, not mine. Now is the time for judgment on this world. The prince of this world will be driven out. And when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. Saying this to show the death he was going to die. Talk about important moments. Jesus can turn from the path he has been taking, the path of the cross. He can rossgeller this and pivot, pivot, and go another way. His soul is troubled because the choice really is die or do anything else. He is at the choosing time. And in this moment, he chooses in this moment, not himself, but us. The hour, the reason he came was to die for us. He chose to be loving, to be faithful, to redeem the lost. He chose in the moment when we were still sinners to die for us. And thanks be to God that he did. Because on this day, on every day, he chooses us. The answer to the question is yes, we can trust Jesus. Because he has given everything for us. Holds nothing back. That's why he says that voice is for our benefit so that we would have no doubt that God is for us.
Now I'm going to bring the band back up here to sing our, our next song. But don't miss this. Don't let go of this. Hold on to the promise that there is no limit to what your Father in heaven would do for you. And by His grace, in every moment, through the Spirit, we can find a way to align ourselves to the way of the cross, to embrace the way of self-sacrificial love, and to die to the self-centeredness that infects us so much. To cry out, Hosanna, save us, Lord. To cry out, you are the king of my life. Because we have borne witness to his sacrifice. We have come to believe in the hope and power of his death and resurrection. And each one of us has come to experience the salvation that he gives us so freely. So let us without hesitation cry out to the Lord. Ask him to take us by the hand. The one who has by name washed us, made us clean and given his name. To take us by the hand and walk with us on this road ahead. And in every moment when it seems like there's just too far to go, don't you ever forget that He chooses you. He chooses you. He is faithful and He does not leave you. Regardless of the darkness of life, regardless of the mess that we are in, He chooses you in His presence. His Spirit is with you always. No matter what. You. You have a Savior Jesus, who looks at you in love and says, I choose you. You are mine. I choose you. I pray God bless you through this holy week, this week of victory for us, a week of victory even in death, because that is not the end.